<sighs> Are you guys ready for a great 21 days coming up? Yeah. Amen. I am, uh, this morning, just so I'll throw it out there, what, what I want to actually talk about is, is some scriptures to build faith for the next 21 days. That we're not just doing some things to do them, but we're doing them according to the word of the Lord and in faith. You know, uh, Monday through Friday of this coming week, is an all-church fast we're called to. And if you got the, the paper booklet, it tells more about that. If you haven't got that, you can get it online at nlc.today. Check out all the details on that. That's kicking things off tonight with a worship service. We have prayer meetings. We have tons going on, and it's all significant. None of it is just busy work. And I want to help us ha- uh, go into this time with, an, with a heart filled with faith. Amen? Amen? All right. Well, why don't you do this with me? Why don't you stand up? We are going to kind of have a... Our jumping-off scripture is out of the second book of Timothy. Um, If you have your Bibles, just go to the Gospels and take a right, and you'll get there eventually. Um, But 2 Timothy 20 through 22 is where we're just going to kind of jump off today. And it says this, it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name, who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Um, this is kind of where we're going to jump off today. We're going to dig into this and then another scripture to kind of set us up for the next three weeks. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would just come alive. Let it come alive in my heart. Let it come alive in our heart. Let it change us um, to look a little bit more like you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. So I picked this verse, um, and it's, it's interesting. My title is kind of becoming useful, and some of you might think, what does that mean I'm not useful? That's not what I'm saying. Um, but the scripture in here actually talks about being, being useful for the master. And it's talking about an analogy of a, of a house and how a house has both um, some, what it would call honorable vessels and maybe more dishonorable vessels. And in scripture, many times people are, vessels are a, a, a picture of, of us, of people. We're, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're, we're to be filled with God, filled with righteousness. The Lord wants to actually fill us up as a vessel for his glory. And in this house, that's in the story, there's both, both honorable and dishonorable vessels, probably like your house. You know, um, I was going to bring this, this little vase we have from um, my hometown uh, when I got married a bunch of years ago. It's a Stuben crystal vase um, that's really fancy and really expensive. It was given to us as a wedding gift, and in fact, because I'm clumsy, it still sits in a box in my basement, padded in bubble wrap 21 years later. That's a vessel for honor. It's something that's used only at special occasions. It's something that is significant, right? Um, and then there's vessels of dishonor, like that little scoopy thing that gets the kitty litter. It's a vessel. It, it picks something up, but it's not exactly an honorable one. And um, what's interesting about this scripture is I think I, as we go into 21, I want us to recognize three things that kind of put, the, put it back on us. Number one, that there's different vessels in the house, right? You, you come into the family of the Lord. You can be useful or maybe not so useful. We're all bought with a price. We're all sons and daughters of the king. And if that's, if that's the only place we get, amen. That's awesome. But the Lord is looking for useful people. The second thing about this scripture that's really, really interesting is 
the transition from useful, from unuseful or dishonorable to honorable starts with me. It actually says in here, it says, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor. There's some sort of partnership we have to get into with the Lord where he moves us from not being so useful to being more useful with him. Amen? It's just a truth. And the way we do that is found in verse 22. He says we're to flee sin and pursue God. That's kind of how we, how we position ourselves the right way. It says flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, and peace, faith, love, and peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Here's the setup. This, these three verses tell us three things. Number one, well, this verse tells us three things, that we're to flee sin. Flee sin. Number two, we're to pursue God, righteousness, peace, love, joy, all those things. And number three, we're supposed to do it with the family of God. And that's what 21 is all about, that we're not just an island to ourselves, that we're not just doing our own thing, but we actually have a sanctified, set-apart time we're doing with the family of God. This next week, as we, as we come into a, a fasting time, um, you know, Monday through Friday, we're not just doing it on our own. It may feel like it's on your own sometimes. Those of us that don't really enjoy fasting, which is probably most of us, have those moments where you just feel like you're, you're the only one. You're like, oh, dear Lord, everyone else is having this divine appointment, and here I am barely making it. There's moments like that, but the truth is we do it as a family. And, and, and there's other people feeling the same way as you in the midst of the fast throughout this area. And it's to encourage us and recognize that we're on a mission together. We're going somewhere. We're not just having a religious event, but we're actually on, on a quest and the quest is actually to meet with God. Do you know when the Israelites came out of the, um, when they came out of Egypt, many of us would say that they came out so that God could put them into the promised land. Remember that story? They came out of bondage into a place of promise, into the promised land. But the Lord actually said initially that he wanted to pull them out of Egypt to worship him in the desert. Their first stop before the promised land was just to meet with God. And on our, on our quest, on our journey of 21 days, our, our main focus isn't necessarily all the stuff we can get out of it, although that's really good. It's just to meet with him. It's just to have an encounter with the Lord. And I think um, we're going to find that as we set these days apart, that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, in this verse, it could be a little bit confusing because you could think when we're talking about cleansing ourselves, are we talking about kind of fixing all of our own problems, getting, getting uh, you know, payment for our own sin? Are we, are we taking care of the sin problem? That's not what God's saying in the scripture. You know, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all need a savior who can come and, and forgive us and cleanse us from our sin. That cleansing comes from the Lord Jesus. We can't, we can't fix ourselves in that regard, amen? You know, you know what I'm saying? You, we, all, we all are in need of somebody greater than ourselves, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice to come and, and fix us. However, once you're in, once you're in, that grace that saved you, you know how it says we're saved by grace? Right? Not, it's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. We're saved by grace through faith. That same grace, say the same grace, that same grace actually empowers us the rest of our lives to live holy lives. That same grace gives us a way out, the scripture says, a way of escape when the enemy comes in temptation. That same grace positions us to live right before God the remainder of our days. And I believe that's what the scripture is talking about. He's saying, live a holy life. 
position yourself to make choices to live for God when you're put in those positions and you say, hey, I could live for myself or I could live for Jesus. He's saying, no, 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 cleanse yourself, position yourself, do the right thing, run after the Lord. There's grace there. Follow that grace and live holy before me. There's a, one of the translations is, I think it's the uh, New English translation. It's net is the abbreviation. It says this of, of 2 Timothy. It says, now in a wealthy home, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also ones made of wood and clay. Some are for honorable uses and some for ignoble uses. If someone cleanses himself of such behavior, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Cleansing ourselves from behavior that pulls us away from the Lord. He'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart, useful for the master, and prepared for every good work. Here's the beauty of it. Is that we're talking about getting ready for the master to use us. Who would love to be used of the Lord? We all are to some degree, I'm sure, right now. But I'd love to ready myself to actually be, be more useful to the Lord. And I think there's probably a place where the Lord says, Tom, if you'd, if you'd do this, you'd be more useful to me. You'd keep your mouth shut once in a while. You'd be more useful to me. You laugh because you know it's true. Maybe for you too. Why is this good news? It, it's good news because if, if this whole idea of becoming useful for God was all on the Lord then he would just have favorite people, right? You look at some person, oh, that, that person's used of God. That's because God's given them some special download and some special grace, and an angel showed up in their bedroom and dubbed them useful for the Lord. No, no, the scripture says that you make yourself ready. There's no favorites with God. He said, if you'll position yourself to clean yourself up and make yourself a vessel ready for the master, he'll use you. That should give every one of us hope. That means it's not just about the people. Um, that maybe are up on a stage or behind an instrument or on a camera somewhere. No, no, no. It's, it's all of us. We all are useful to the master. We're useful to the master in our daily lives, in our families, in our work. And the more we allow ourselves to be aligned with the Father, aligned with the priorities of heaven, cleaning ourselves up and say, God, I want more of you, the more he says, all right, I can use that. I can use that. Amen? Which brings me to this. It's not a shameless plug. It fits right in. The you belong card. So when you look at these things, it's not just, hey, we need something done at the church. It's like, you know, we actually have ministries that serve the family of God, that are significant, amen, to what God is doing, not only not in this week, not only in our church, but even in our community. The first one, um, I, I want to tell a story because it's, it's significant. Sometimes we look at stuff like church cleaners, and um, you may say, hey, that, that's, a, that's not a very honorable job. That's, it doesn't sound like a very honorable vessel. Um, but there were two, two different cleaners. One is an, an older gentleman who's been cleaning here for a number of years, cleans um, all over the place, but out there. And another one is a couple that actually vacuum in here almost, I think, every Sunday or whenever it is. That they're in charge of kind of keeping this place clean. During COVID, on separate occasions, they both said to me something that literally changed how I walked out that whole pandemic area. It, it shifted how I thought about the season that we were in so much that it actually changed how I talked and walked through that season. And I say that because sometimes, you know, we look at something and say, well, that doesn't seem very important. But I want to say that we have church cleaners that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that listen to God, that get word of wisdom in season to tell their pastor something that will change how he walks out. Isn't that good? A pandemic. So church cleaning is a great job. Uh, first impression greeters. I mean, we don't go... We don't go a month without hearing how coming in people get, you know, touched and blessed by the acceptance and love our greeters offer. Um, the third one is a little bit different. Shelter, 
transportation team. We have a great honor to be, be um, building a relationship with our city over this past number of years. And the city has a little bit of a challenge with some homeless issues. And um, a gentleman that actually goes to church here is, one of the, is, is kind of a liaison with the city about this issue. And uh, we asked him, how can we help? And he said, well, we can, we can get people help. We just can't get them to the shelter. We need a team of people that would be willing. If I send a text out to say, hey, I got a guy I need to move from Biddeford to Alfred, anybody available to, to move somebody? He said it happens about once a week, maybe. Um, so we need a team of people that are willing to put, you know, put their name down and say, hey, I want to be part of that. I want to help the city in their homeless issue because we are a light to the city and we need to get involved in that kind of stuff. Amen? So take a look at those. Pray, ask the Lord if there's anything you can be a part of um, and see what he says. All right. You know, you look at stuff like this, um, you hear even maybe stories about the thing with the church cleaners and we, the enemy loves to talk us out of stuff. I don't know if he does that to you, but he loves to tell, he loves to tell me that's not, I'm not good enough for that or whatever, you know? And I got thinking as I was putting this together this, um, this week that there's probably some people that are in the sound of my voice listening who have either grown up or even recently had that voice in the back of their head or the voice even from outside from a parent or someone else who says to you that you're never going to amount to anything. The scripture tells us that we get to clean ourselves up and make ourselves useful for the master. Let me tell you, no matter who told you, you're not going to amount to anything. If you make yourself useful for the master, you're going to change eternity. You're, God's going to use you for something that's going to affect other people's lives in such a powerful way that they'll never be the same. Don't believe that lie that you'll never amount to anything. Maybe you've lived a life of sin, and you say, Tom, yeah, that's good for you because you're a pastor and you're perfect. Ask my wife. She'll tell you otherwise. <laughs> Am I true? Is that right? But if, you, if, you're, if you're still sucking air on planet Earth, there's still time for all of us to make ourselves useful for the master's work. So we're going to take um, a story from the Old Testament, and we're going to use that as kind of our blueprint for how we look at the next three weeks. The next three weeks are a set-apart, holy time. We enter into it voluntarily. You can do it. You can't do it. totally up to you. And anyone who wants to, it's, it's free, to, free to do it. If you want to, you don't have to. Men, women, everybody, children. There's a story about something just like that in the Old Testament. It's a time of separation, a vow being set apart, where anybody could be a part of it. You set the time, and you just say, God, I'm going to meet with you. And he tells us, okay, if you do that, here's how I want you to proceed. And it's called the vow of a Nazarite. And it's in Numbers chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, it's way in the back. It's, um, or front of the book, rather. Um, Numbers chapter 6. If you know or ever heard of that, um, the, actually, the song, The Blessing, May the Lord bless and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. It's in that same chapter of, of Scripture. Numbers chapter 6. And it says this. The first six verses I want to read. And this is, this is our backdrop. It's going to sound like a very weird backdrop, fair warning. But we're going to walk through it of, of how we're going to position ourselves during this set-apart time. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman, that's the everybody's welcome part, when either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from, similar, from wine and similar drink, he shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink, neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. 
All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. Now, just to see if you're paying attention, are we supposed to eat grapes in this thing? All right, we're all on the same page there. All the days of, <laughs> of the vow of his separation, this is verse 5, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled, which he's separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Uh, and then he can let the locks of his hair grow. And then six, all the days that he separated himself to the Lord, he, he shall not go near a dead body. I recognize in verse 5, it's a little confusing about the hair thing because they were supposed to let their hair grow and at the end of the vow, they were supposed to shave it off and burn it as an offering to the Lord. We kind of missed that part. So that, that verse might sound a little weird to you if, if you read it. Um, and then they could let it grow again. Um, but there's three things in here we're talking about. Not eating grapes. That sounds fun. Not shaving your head, which most of us are probably okay with. And um, not being around the dead. And how in the world do they apply to the next 21 days? So here it is. The thing about the Nazarite vow is, is God gives it very specifically right in numbers with some other stuff. He, he tells us how to bless people with the ironic blessing we just talked about and other things. And he gives us this vow and says, here, do this. And yet in the whole Bible, as far as I can tell, there's only one person that actually um, explicitly is stated as having done this vow, and that's Samson. And if you read his story, he had some issues with it, which should give us encouragement, right? Day three of the fast, and you're faltering. Hey, Jesus, forgive me for that. I'm going to go on, and we're going to keep going. Samson had a little trouble, too. But here's the deal. It was important enough for, in the, uh, for the Lord to put it in there. That means it has relevance to us today. So what I want to do as we go through these three things is simply take the um, most straightforward explanation and just see where it goes. You with me? All right. Verse 4. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. Um, I think the most straightforward explanation for this is God is saying there's some food I don't want you to eat for spiritual reasons. Are we close to being on the same page on that? It's not about wine because actually back in the day, the, Hebrew, the people would actually just drink other forms of alcohol that didn't come from grapes because this is so specific to grapes. He's saying, I don't want you to eat those grapes. In their culture, grapes were a very big deal. In fact, when they went into the Promised Land, some of the spies actually came back with grapes to explain what the land was like. Raisin cakes, when it talks about that, that's all about like um, the idea of just being fertile and, and, and producing a great nation and wine and grapes. It's all about this joy and festivity and food and plenty, plenteousness, just, just being blessed of the Lord. And the Lord says, for the season that you're taking your vow, I want you to set that aside. I want you to set aside the food that is very pleasurable to you. Now, I don't know if you're like me. Um, I, I actually started fasting as a kid during a season called Lent for 40 days, and we would be forced to give something up. And I always tried to ask my mother if I could give up, up Brussels sprouts because I never ate them anyways. <laughs> but the Lord wants us to give up something that's pleasurable. There's a reason for that. Um, now, as a kid, I didn't know any of the reasons, but I want to say even if we go out from here not completely understanding the reasons, that's okay, because here's the truth for you. We don't actually need to understand to obey God. There's a misnomer in the church that I need to understand this stuff first before obeying, and that's just not true. We are allowed to ignorantly obey the Lord. Our job is just to obey the Lord. Amen? All right, but let's, let's go down a few, a few scriptural things that are going to help us. Number one, fasting is a scriptural way of humbling ourselves before the Lord. 
Psalm 35 says, I humbled myself with fasting. As we come into a season of prayer and fasting, recognizing, recognize that, that humbling is our responsibility. We, we don't get the privilege of, of really praying, God, humble me. He says, humble yourself. That's like, it's something we give unto the Lord. We, we choose to humble ourselves, and one of the ways we do that is with fasting, is with going without the pleasures of this life for spiritual purposes. Number two, fasting, this is, this is me being, because I'm, I'm very deep, right? Fasting teaches us about hunger. It does. Psalm 42 says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet God? There's a, there's a value in being hungry in the natural as it proceeds and points to a hunger we have in the spiritual. A friend of mine, uh, right before this service, actually gave me, and that's why I brought this up here, because I just thought it was almost prophetic, <laughs> gave me this book. Um, this is, uh, I don't even know what copy it is, but this was written in 19, well, it was, this was printed in 1948. I don't know when A.W. Tozer actually released it, but it's called The Pursuit of God. He wrote it on a train ride. In one train ride, he wrote the whole book, and it was just a, his heart pouring out about a people, the people of God, hungering and thirsting and pursuing God with all they have. And I just thought it was very almost prophetic, like the Lord is saying, no, Tom, you're on to something there with this, that fasting teaches us to hunger after him. Fasting sets us aside to say, God, for this week, I know it's kind of crazy, and I can't get my mind off the pizza, I just, but I'm going to hunger for you. First, sometimes there's a, there's a spiritual principle of things happening, sometimes first in the natural and then in the spiritual. Sometimes we've got to experience natural hunger before that thing livens up again in us of spiritual hunger toward God. Psalm 42, he says, when can I go and meet with God? You think, well, that's kind of a weird thing to be hungering for the Lord. Well, not so much. Um, you know, I grew up in a very hunting family. I'm a terrible hunter. Um, I can't sit still, so I'm not good at a deer stand. And I just, am, I don't really care. I like to eat meat, I don't like to kill it, whatever. I'll shoot it if you want me to. Um, but, but you know what? Every year since I've been here, I've bought a moose permit. That'd be a lot of meat, which I would be super okay with. But even greater than that, the reason I buy a moose permit is actually because my dad loves to hunt. And if I ever got that hunt, it would be like a dream come true to hang out with my dad. Sometimes we got to have times in our heart where we say, God, I just want to be with you. I just want to set aside this time with you because it's special to you. Fasting is terrible for me. I hate it. But there's something, Lord, you like about it, so I'm going to do it. Amen? And give yourself grace this week. If you're not, if you're not 100% successful, don't, don't do that thing. Well, I screwed up and ate a Pop-Tart on Monday morning. No, no. Don't throw it all in the bag. Just start over. He's going to meet you. Number three, um, fasting is training for your soul. This was something I didn't recognize. There's a spiritual principle that, that um, is connected with fasting in this regard. It says, um, Matthew chapter 6, when you fast, this gives us some parameters, don't be somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces just because they want everyone to know they're fasting. He says, truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, they've received their reward in full, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Don't be stinky and dirty, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting. 
but only to your Father who is unseen. Now catch this. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I don't think, uh, let me talk for myself. I don't think in most of my Christian walk I've, I've recognized and honored the, the, the kingdom principle, which is this, that God is a God of reward. He says that those who, this is Hebrews 11, those who come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Sometimes in our quest to, you know, live a selfless life, we think, well, that's, that we can't talk about that kind of thing. God says, no, 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 I want you to know that I'm a God who rewards you. I want you to recognize that when you seek me, there's a reward at the end. I want you to run the race like someone who wants to get a prize. That's why a lot of us don't like these things where everybody gets a prize. Just ain't right. They're supposed to be winners and losers. Sorry. <laughs> there's a, I heard that, amen. That's funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> Isn't that true, though? When, when, every, when everybody gets a prize, we take out this principle that no reward is important. We're supposed to work for something. We're going somewhere. We're on a journey for a reason, and we believe at the end of that journey, God's going to meet me, and there's a reward for me. Not a curse, a reward. He's not going to beat me up. It's his kindness I'm going to find there. It's his goodness. How many have a hard time with fasting except for me? Nobody. I see that hand. Me and you, we're honest people. I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, today as we just move into fasting this coming week, I just want to pray that you would speak to us, that you would be with us, that it would be a time of joy and strengthening, that you would reshape our thinking to hunger after you. Lord, that there be a grace upon your people, that, you would, that we would recognize that you're a God of reward and we would look forward to it. Lord, we ask your blessing on our fast, that it would honor you in Jesus' mighty name. All right. The second thing, that was grapes. Second thing is no cutting your hair. Um, all the days of the vow, this is verse 5, no razor shall come upon your head. Probably not going to be too difficult for many people in the room. Anybody have a plan to shave your head off in the next? Okay, some of us, sorry. Wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> More hands than I thought. All right, we're not going <laughs> to... We're not going to go there. But the most straightforward uh, explanation of this is that... Here, well, let me give you some backdrop. When the, when the Jewish people um, got this command about the Nazarite vow, they, they would take it so far as to say, well, if I, I'm not supposed to cut my hair. I'm not even going to uh, brush it or comb it because I might pull some out. Because they just wanted to be holy. That's how, that's how important holiness was. They said, I don't even want to screw this up. And I'm not going to comb my hair. So what happens to hair if you don't comb it, you don't brush it, and you don't cut it for an extended period of time? You look a little funky. And I think that's the point. He says, don't cut your hair. The most straightforward explanation is sometimes God calls his people to look different, to be set apart, to live holy lives. We're going to be in a culture that doesn't have any value for what we're about to do. Don't let it stop you. Let it give you courage. You don't need to go sharing it all about. You don't need to go bragging. You keep it to yourself. But we live holy, and you will eventually look different than the person next to you who doesn't know the Lord. And that's the point. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. The King James, I love the King James, and it says you are a peculiar people. Sometimes you're meant to be peculiar, and it's okay. It's a sign of your consecration to the Lord to act differently than everybody else. 
So I'm going to encourage us to be committed to the process of the 21 days. Look a little weird, come to the prayer meetings, memorize the scripture, wear that bizarre bracelet that doesn't make any sense to anybody but you. It's like secret code. Um, create fresh habits of prayer in our life over 21. The, the, the booklet that's online or the printed version actually gives us ideas and some helps if you're not used to prayer some different prayer models and ways to connect with God, go after it. Participate in Passover. We're going, to do all, we're going to do Passover this year in homes, which is actually how they did Passover to begin with. It might sound weird to you because it's not like a big church event. Jump on board with that. You want to get involved with it, check, out, check it out online, and you can get involved with hosting it in your own home or maybe even going to somebody else's home. But we're going to have Passover that points to Jesus, and it's going to be powerful. And come to Journey of the Cross. It's just a way that we set aside some time to meditate on the, the last week of Jesus' life and um, come to the place of the cross and actually the resurrection, um, the victory that's there. I was taught when I was younger in the Lord that sometimes you have to do the ridiculous to see the miraculous. And I think it's true. I can't exactly find a Bible verse for it, but I still think it's true. The third thing is um, verse 6 all the days that one separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near the dead. The most straightforward explanation is this. In Scripture, it says that the wages of sin is death. There's a great connection between sin and death, a very clear connection in the Scripture. So where the, 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 the kind of uncut, unkempt, crazy hair talks about the holiness, set-apartness of God, the don't go near the dead is telling us, stay away from sin. Cut sin right out of your life. Get rid of it. Find during this time, uh, um, just time to get alone with God and say, God, what do I need to adjust in my life to live holy for you? And what you'll find is you'll find that reward we were talking about at the end. Because anytime we obey the Lord, when we seek Him, He always blesses us. Holiness is a separation from sin, from a worldly influence. You know what's a great way to do this? Psalm 119.11. I actually forgot this last service, so tell your friends from first service. They might need this. It says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin. What a great time. We have a scripture right around our, our wrist that we're going to hide in our heart by seeing it, reading it, saying it for the next three weeks. And that scripture, you're going to find this out, is going to help us not sin. How? Well, the very first thing it says is don't be anxious. So every time I'm anxious, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Lord, I need to cast this on you. I need to pray about it. And we move from a, a life of anxiety and anxiousness to a life of trust and faith in God. That's what this is all about. Do you know... Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to end going with this verse. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Sorry, i got to tell myself so I can get there. It says, hold on, it's falling apart. But know this, that in the last days, this is 2 Timothy 3, the 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Okay, if you, if you think any of these next things are true that we might be close to the last days. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And it says, from such people turn away. And I believe what he's talking about is he's not talking about from such people in the world. The, the world is this way. This is what the world looks like. 
and we're supposed to be smack in the middle of it. We're not supposed to hide ourselves from people that are right there. We're supposed to be right in the middle of it with the light of hope saying there's a better way and his name is Jesus. Come with me because we're on a journey. I want to show you what life looks like that doesn't look like this. All you need to do is watch the news for a week to recognize this is what the world looks like. In the kingdom, it's not, it's, it's completely different. It doesn't look like this. In the kingdom, there's love, joy, peace. In the kingdom, there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In the kingdom, where we're where our heart is set, where we're pursuing God, it looks completely different than this. But it says here that we're supposed to stay away from people that do this. And I think what he's saying is, church, it's time to clean ourselves up. Amen? And we can do that. Why don't you stand with me? 21 is a holy time for the New Life Church family. A time of fasting, a time of pursuing God, a time set apart, a time of fleeing sin. Like anything else in life, we get out of it what we put into it. So let's put our all into it the next three weeks. The difference here is that God is for you. He's not against you. God is for you. And if God is for you, Romans says, if God is for you, who can be against you? It doesn't matter. Your appetite can be against you. Your spouse can be against you. Your workplace can be against you. But if God is for you, he's going to make a way. He's going to meet you. He's going to speak to you. I want to say this is your moment. This is your moment like the Nazarite to say, God, I want to consecrate this time as holy to you, and I have full expectation that you're going to meet me in a beautiful way. Isn't that good? All right. Now, we're going to sing a song in, a, in, in just a second, and it's got this, this, this air, this theme at the end of kind of the lordship of Jesus, and I want to encourage you to lean into that and just make it your own. But before we do that, just do, do me a favor, close your eyes, because I want to I prophetically just read some scripture over you as if it's the Lord speaking right to you because it's his word. And I believe his word out of my mouth is as powerful as his word out of his own mouth because his word has the power. It says, you are a chosen generation. It says, you are a royal priesthood. It says, you are a holy nation. You are God's special people. You may be a bit peculiar. You are called to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are. You once didn't know what mercy is, but now you've obtained mercy. You're set apart. You are preparing yourself for the master's service. God's not done with you yet. He's taking you from glory to glory and faith to faith. If you believe that, say, that's me. Come on, say, he's preparing me. Say it like you mean it. Say, God's working in my life. I choose to flee sin. I'm going to run after God. I'm going to make myself ready. And God is with me.